Welcome to Planet Noun, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and to do more with what life presents. Joining me is a repeat guest, my dear friend, Pamela Rare Epiphany Best, a Renaissance woman indeed. She does it all. She's a mom. She is an awesome cook, chef, caterer. She writes poetry. She is just such a beautiful wordsmith and just a beautiful all-around human being. And she works in corporate America as well. She does it all and she does it well. My friend, I'm proud of her. Last time she was on the show, we caught up to each other in Philadelphia, somewhere outside Philadelphia. And we recorded our conversation between there and New Jersey, sometimes in a -a rent-a-car, another part during an old-school slumber party in her hotel room. And I wanted to find out more about her erotic poetry book, Soul Kisses. Now this time we're talking via Zoom, amen for Zoom, amen to Zoom for keeping us all connected during this pandemic. So speaking of which, Rare and I talk about a range of things starting with the COVID-19 pandemic that's turned us all topsy-turvy. Not going to delay anymore. Let's get to it on Planet Noun. Do it. Okay. How are you? Oh, I'm recording now, by the way. How you doing? Oh, so good to see you. I'm good. It's good to see you. I'm living for them earrings. I'm living for them. Oh, girl. I love them. You know the paparazzi? I love a dangle. Yes. Me and the paparazzi. Me and the paparazzi. Y'all friends. (laughs) I got, girl, I got so much stuff. (laughs) I keep them in business. But you, who who been messing with you? You know, I, I have hands. We'll travel. You look, try Jesus, but not me. Because I have hands. Try Jesus, not P, because she fight. <laughs> I no, got no problems laying in hands. None, okay? <laughs> so look, this is how we are when we get together. It's true. Um, we just happen to be in a Zoom meeting and we just happen to have video recording. But yeah, girl, how I'm doing? I am I'm okay. So when this, first of all, let's just go back to this pandemic. When well, it was a pandemic before it, we had the national emergency. But let's go back to March 12, 2020. Because for you, and then we'll talk about how I'm doing. Uh, we'll weave that in there as well. But March 12, 2020 was a special day for, yes. uh, for, for all sorts of reasons. Yes. Hell. <laughs> so March 12, 2020, uh, marked the anniversary of the birth of Cool, of Viral, Epiphany, the Pamela Best, the one and only. It's when God sent me upon the earth. Amen. Like a scourge. <laughs> <laughs> I rebuke that last, that last part. <laughs> Like a friend, yes. <laughs> Let me like give them something to talk about. <laughs> Let me go throw some down there and see what they do with this. <laughs> Nothing like this. <laughs> like a friend, like a force, like like fun, yeah. like yeah. all that. Yeah, like a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> yes, the anniversary of my birth. And that was also the same day that the national emergency was declared. Yes. And so Funny that it was also the day that I contracted coronavirus. <laughs> wait, wait. Okay. I didn't know this. Yes. I knew you were ill mm-hmm. and you thought okay, do tell that story, please. So so um, you know, what I didn't know at the time was I went to work on my birthday on that Thursday. Um, I took the next day off because I had a bevy of doctor's appointments um, that next day. Um, And I was like, okay, cool. And, you know, you feel something, but, you know, it could be a cold, whatever. Because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going through menopause, night sweats, all kinds of stuff. So I keep the sniffles because I have it like, you know, the Arctic tundra in my apartment. And um, then... Went to work that Monday, and one of my VPs just came through the office. And I work in a huge office, but they came through the office and was like, pack your stuff up, get up, get out. And we were like, okay. And they were like, no, pack everything you think you're going to need. Get it, leave. And it was like, okay. 
It was like 11 o'clock that morning. And so packed up everything and left the office and found out later that evening through an email that they had had um, a positive uh, test uh, for COVID for someone in the office um, and that we had all been exposed. What I didn't know at that time was that the person that was positive for COVID was the person that sat right in front of me. Um, and so I was wow. oh, okay. And I knew I didn't feel well. And it was funny because I had an antibodies test, which is the only reason I knew I was I, positive for COVID because they were not testing for COVID at that time. They did not have a reliable test for anybody and they just did not want you to come in. So I was doing telemedicine visits and they were like, nope, can't come. Like if you have problems breathing that I was to call them, not 911. I had to call my doctor. The doctor would call 911 to inform them that I was possibly COVID positive and they would send a specific ambulance service to come get me if I was having breathing distress. And I said, okay, cool. And it was bad. Um, there were probably only two days in, in that couple of weeks where I was afraid to go to sleep because I felt like I wasn't going to wake up. Like it was just, I, it was the coughing was making it difficult to catch my breath. Um, and I felt awful. Um, I had no sense of taste, no sense of smell, couldn't, you know, it was, I had no appetite um, for that period. It was great for the diet. Now it was great. I, I, I lost like 26 pounds in like three weeks, but it was like, it was horrible. I felt bad, but I was trapped in the house and I was trapped in the house with my son. Um, and my roommate was walking around with a bandana tied around his face. <laughs> like I had to be a body play. <laughs> he was like, no. But so like where I was, like my son, I made him stay um, in his room. Um, and when he, and he's been on, since I weaned him off his regular meds, he's been on his whole regimen since before coronavirus. So he takes his vitamin D3, he takes his um, vitamin C, zinc, he takes a probiotic, um, he takes uh, some turmeric, uh, an elderberry blend. So he's been taking those every day since before all of this stuff. So he doesn't get so much as a cold. Um, so he was running around like, okay, lady, whatever. What COVID? <laughs> like, now, but he is, he is very COVID, uh, he's not COVID paranoid. He's very COVID careful. Like my child don't leave the house. Mm -hmm. like he might, if I go to the store, he'd be like, bring me back. But he's not going. Like he goes out, he'll go for a walk around the neighborhood. But as far as going to places, he's been to Costco once. He's been to the market maybe once. He went to a friend of mine's house once, so, and then he went with, to visit with his dad. Um, he was gone for a week, and I think they went out once while they were there. But other than that, since March, but he doesn't really like humans. So, <laughs> that, like, <laughs> so how is he with school? How is that going? He's like, so you mean I don't have to go like where the people are? Cool. Why did you remind me of the Little Mermaid? I want to be where the people are in reverse. Yeah. In reverse. <laughs> like he does not want to be where the people are. Now he's he's kind of learning through this whole virtual school thing that he may want to go back to in-person school. Um, and just and that's not because, you know, he still don't like people, but more of a certain things engage better in person. So like he has an art class and he is like, I did not ask for this art class. I don't know how I got in this art class, but some counselor somewhere decided she was gonna put him in this art class and he despises it. Um, but because he's like, I can't draw. I don't know how to draw, I, you know, I don't do any of this stuff. Now, I, I don't think that's completely true. He does pretty good with what he does, but like getting him to do it is like pulling teeth on a wild feral cat. Cause he, he just don't want, He's like, oh, oh God, boy, boy, draw this picture. So they have writing prompts, they have drawing prompts. Mm -hmm. They have the drawing prompts and she work on shading. So now he's got to look up like, what is shading? Or what is this? And what is that? I don't know how to, okay, let me figure out how to do this. And so what it does is they have to draw the pictures and they have five writing prompts a week. 
So you have to, they tell them you spend about 15, 20 minutes on each one. And so he does this writing prompt, but then they have a like a larger project. He did do a, co a cover for his, um, his art book. Um, and you know, you have to incorporate the five things about you. And so it took forever because he kept thinking, I can't write these five things about me. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, Get your life together. You're going to have to do it. So it took him a while, but he got it done. And so what he did was he drew, it was like a head and it has these weird kind of just lines for eyes, nose, but he has the headphones on the head and the headphones represent his love of music. And so he has the headphones in there. And then he has a Dodge symbol on the shirt in the front, the little Ram and the Dodge symbol, because he likes um, like Dodge Challenger or Dodge Chargers. So he likes, that's one of his favorite cars. Um, and then he has a um, school and he has the little cross out sign because he hates school. <laughs> so like That's one of the things about me you should know is I, I hate school. <laughs> that there and you know he got a dodge symbol and has his headphones on and um he the the face has a mask on and on the mask he has um there's a symbol for one of his favorite dubstep artists is deviate and so he has the symbol drawn up there across the mouth to represent you know his favorite artist and the whole thing is done in red black and white because those are his favorite colors and i was like see you did it <laughs> <sighs> I was like, oh you my gosh! Up there, you should draw food because you love food. Wow! So you back to you. You had COVID. I remember seeing on uh, social media that you were sick and you thought you might have it. So that was a so you yes. found out later that you yeah, actually did. Nobody's test found out later. Um, and uh, <laughs> every time I so much as cough, Jamie, like you got that COVID, you got that. <laughs> and I said, more like all, you got that COVID because the boy, the boy done grown, the boy done grew up. <laughs> Six two two forty nine. The boy done grew up. Six foot two. <laughs> two hundred and forty nine pounds of boy. So another question I have for you, um, of course, I, mean, I know you. We've heard these terms meshed together before. We have a health pandemic and a pandemic of racism. Ooh. That is that ain't yes. ever gone away. That has always Definitely. been there. And I don't know, my feeling was that, okay, we're in a pandemic. Maybe folks will be scared and they know how to act right. Folks, folks just don't know how to act right. No. Do you folks ever will never because, know say again? Folks will never know how to act right. And so do you ever get scared? Or are you what what is your feeling about seeing since it's been happening since before? Uh, mm -hmm. Ferguson and before mm -hmm. Trayvon Martin, mm -hmm. but now we have the video to capture. What is your yeah. thought about seeing your son, six two, mm -hmm. two hundred something pounds, sweet as pie? Mm -hmm. He's a lovely human, a lovely individual. Mm -hmm. But knowing that when he steps outside the door, somebody else's tainted perception might not get it. Right, like. One of the things that, that really brought that to clarity for me was um, I was admitted to the hospital this last weekend. Um, and so because I didn't feel well, I took him with me to the emergency room. And I, didn't, I had no idea that they were going to admit me once I got there. And so when I got to the hospital, you know, hospitals are a lot different now. Uh, emergency rooms are a lot different now. And him having to be with me um, was like, so is he going to wait out here? And I was like, no, he has to go with me. Um, and I was like, one, because he's a minor, two, because he's special needs. And she was like, how old is he? Because she just knew this was a grown man with me. And especially with the introduction of a mask, you can't really see that. You can look at his face and tell he's a child. But, you know, he had his mask on and they were like, okay, this grown man can't go back with you. And I was like, he's 16. As a matter of fact, he just turned 16 on August 24th. So he ain't been 16 a full week. Um, and so it was like, her face is looking like, I thought that was a grown man. So literally what she had to do was every doctor that came in, every nurse that came in, before they got in there, she told them, there's a man in there. He looks like a grown man. He's not a man. He's a child. And so for me, something that is so obvious to me as a Black woman looking at my Black child is not so obvious to somebody who is not Black. Um, it's a deeper issue of how 
we expect children to have adult mindsets and that we sexualize children because this black girl is built like a grown woman. And when I can look at her face and obviously tell this is a child, but they don't see that in us. Um, they don't see us the same. And so for me, having to explain to my son, um, who is a, both a child and who is both autistic, so he doesn't get it, you know, like, why would somebody do something, you know, kind of thing. And having to explain that that is just the way the world works sometimes and that he has to govern himself a specific way, I'm always afraid. Um, I have had to fight with the fact that I cannot let that fear make me smother him. Um, so, like, he goes out for walks every day. And I'm like, make sure you have your mask. You got your phone. Keep your hands out of your pockets. You know, walk. Be polite. Step away. You know, when people are walking on this side, you walk over here. You know, just be nice. And he knows that if you get stopped, if anything happens, you know, you call me. You, you know, you answer with your name, you know, and, and what my phone number is. And you contact me. And so it's, it's always I'm on pins and needles until he gets back in the house. Even when he goes to visit his father, um, I cannot rest when he's not here. Um, I still have a sign on the back of my car, on my car window, in case I get stopped by the police, that I have an autistic child in my car with me, that he may not know how to comply. He may not be able to be still. He may not be able to not fidget because he does. And if he's afraid, it may be exacerbated. He may not speak. He may, you know, just so that somebody knows that there's somebody in my car like this. And I don't want my son to get hurt or shot or anything because he cannot comply in the way that you are accustomed to seeing. So it's a real fear. It's a real, real fear. Like I have neighbors downstairs that are not so nice. Um, my son, um, he doesn't, his tics are not as bad as they used to be, but he paces constantly. And so I had to move him out of his bedroom. Like he sleeps in his bedroom, but everything else is out in the living room because he paces constantly. And my neighbor downstairs was like, he's stomping on the floors and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, he's not stomping because one, I'm in here with him. So I know he's not stomping. And um, two, I can't help that you work third shift. So you're sleeping during the day when other people are functioning. Maybe you should not have picked the apartment that is downstairs on, on the bottom he has two apartments above him. And I was like, why did you pick that? If you know you have this kind of schedule, like my- You need to be on the top floor. Sound like, yeah, the people upstairs for me sound like they have a troop of elephants running through there during the daytime. But I'm like, they got kids and dogs. I do not expect those people to sit like stoic statues all day, mm -hmm. kids. And there's dogs up there. And I don't care what they're doing during the daytime. I can sleep through anything pretty much. But <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not going to have a fit. They had a party up there one time and it was like, I just opened the patio door because they were playing some fine music. I'm not mad at y'all for living y'all life. Like, do what you do, you know, kind of thing. But having to navigate the world as a parent and then as the parent of a special needs child um, is very fearful, you know, it's a very fearful time. And what made it really real for me was that with the with the George Floyd case? George Floyd was my cousin. Say that and again for the people. George in the Floyd back. was my cousin, and I hadn't seen him since we were kids. And it wasn't until I kept looking at his face because something about his face was so familiar to me. And I was taught. I, I called my mom and I was like, I, I can't put my hand on it. Why he looks so familiar? And she said, He should. He's your cousin. And I was like. She told me who he was, like George, and she started naming his brother, his mom. And I was like, like we were playing with dolls and stuff and he would come in and be tearing up our stuff and we would kick him out the room and <laughs> mm -hmm. get out, leave my dolls alone kind of thing. But I had seen them. They moved when he was like maybe nine or 10. Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't seen them for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, but it, it made things really real because I remember I was at his mother's funeral. Um, you know, I, I, there was just so many things and for, you know, that, that, that meant something when he called on his mother, um, kind of thing. And, and 
it, it just it made things extremely close to home um, that you know are happening. You know, as a parent, I was devastated with with Trayvon Martin. You know, as a parent, I was devastated at Jordan Davis. As a parent, you know, devastated at Tamir Rice and and looking at all the cases of all the people who, you know, the juxtaposition of how the NRA can be so rah, rah, ha, ha, gun rights. But where were you when Philando Castillo was killed, when he had a license to carry? He followed the rules. He followed the rules. You should have been the main ones, NRA, that was like, you violated his rights to mm-hmm. have a weapon. He lawfully had a weapon, and it, it's it's the and said so, and said so. Let it be known. You, I have a weapon on my person. You know, just told you everything, and then you kill him anyway, because it becomes the spot of why is it that as an officer you expect me to be the one who knows the rules. I'm not the trained one. Like you as an officer are trained to be able to say, okay, so if you have a weapon on your person, get the, get the weapon. If I got to put my hand down here to get a weapon, don't tell me, don't put your hand, bruh, pick what you want. You either want me to get the weapon or you don't, but I can't leave my hands here and make the le- weapon levitate out of my waistband to you i i it, it it's just none of it makes sense that we are this is how you're supposed to act when you stop by the police no this is how you act as a police officer when you start you are trained to do this and if you are not comfortable doing this maybe you need a different job because i have friends who are police officers mm-hmm. that and what, what do they say about this my about friends these, these who are police officers are black and they are black first before they are police officers and they, you know, they are like, it's a weird place to be because a lot of the places where they have you work, instead of community policing the way it used to be, a lot of the places that they have you work have the worst of the people who look like you, especially my friends who are on APD. So my friends who work at Atlanta police are like, you know, I'm working, you know, the, the bank head corridor. And we know about Bankhead. So, you know, yeah, what's up, what's up with the Bankhead bounce? Like Bankhead Quarter, that segment of town is a seedy segment of town, mainly because of poverty. Um, and so when you live in certain areas, you have a view of the people there. And when you view the people as less than human, you treat them as such. And especially when officers come like, ah, oh, no, I heard that before. These are like this. And so they assume that this black boy is like that black boy is like that black boy is like that black boy. And they don't make the same assumptions when they work in white areas that may be just as impoverished, just as seedy, somebody who fell on hard times as opposed to somebody who's a criminal. And you're talking about the black officers? The black just officers, officers and in the general. white officers. Okay. Because the officers in general are taught about areas uh, from the people that they train with. So they tell you, oh, look, in this area, you're going to run into this, 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 this. So you come in with this idea of how the people are. And so a lot of Black officers have the idea that it is more dangerous to pull somebody Black in a car than it is to pull somebody white. So they are already on edge when they pull this Black person. And especially if a Black person tells you they are armed. You know, one of the guys that I follow on Instagram, his name is The Bad Guy Flex. And he's a police officer. And he was pulled by another police officer. And he went live because he said this thing could have went completely left. And it was because he asked him, he said, I'm a police officer, you know, and I have a weapon. And the guy's like, "Um, uh, you know, um, what weapons do you have? He said, I have a revolver. He said, it's, you know, he said, where's the revolver? He said, it's um, in my side. It's on my side. It's in my, you know, left side. He said, anything else? He said, I have a knife. He looked up at the ceiling and you can see he has a knife thing uh, on the ceiling of his truck. And he has the knife in there. He was like, I have a knife right there. And he said, I have my service revolver in my um, glove box. And then he said, okay. 
and he said, um, can you, um, he said, show me your weapon. And he said, I'm not reaching in my waistband. He said, you're sitting here with your gun trained at me. I'm not reaching in my waistband. He said, call your supervisor and have your supervisor come and he can get the gun out of my waistband while you were standing there. He said, but I'm not reaching. I'm not giving you the excuse to shoot. Mm -hmm. And this is another police officer. Right. Um, and one of the things he said is that if you ever feel uncomfortable in a situation like that, if you're at, if it's night or it's whatever and you're pulled, he said the first thing you do when that cop pulls you, if your phone is up on your things, you call 911. You tell them, I'm not, I don't feel safe. And they will send out other officers, but I would keep them on the phone while I'm on the phone with them. So 911 will be able to record everything that happens at this call. Mm -hmm. um, and he said that the guy pulled him um, because he said, I noticed you went, he took this particular route to get to the highway as opposed to going straight down this other street and going down the highway. And why can't he drive where he drives? That's why he said, he said, liberty, freedom. He said, why can't I get to the highway the way I want to get to the highway? Like, why does it matter if I drove through this neighborhood, you know, on, on this street kind of thing? He said, so you pulled me because I took a less direct route? To the highway? That's not a crime. That's not At breaking all. any traffic laws. None. I got pulled um, coming from a, a studio session, and it was hilarious to me that the guy pulls me. It was like close to midnight, and um, he pulled me, and I pulled over, and I actually had somebody on the phone with me. And he pulled me because the light, you know how where your tag is on your car? Mm -hmm. Some cars have a light over the tag, right? And he said, your light's out over your tag. That light's probably been out since I had the car. I ain't never looked back there and seen the guy. It ain't like I've been behind my car at night. Um, and he said, the light's out over your tag. And I didn't know you had a tag on your car. I said, you apparently did because you pulled out behind me and your lights would show you that I have a tag on my car. So why are you really pulling me over? And, and he was like, Okay, so he gave me a warning ticket, right? And so after I left, um, the guy I was on the phone with um, that I left the studio from, he said, the reason he, he um, pulled you is because, you know, I, do I drive a Dodge. I drive a black Dodge. Um, he said he probably thought you were dealing over here. It's a car that's unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. You got the tinted out black Dodge, you know, out here. So he probably thought he was going to find something on you. Kind of thing. I said, well, he might find a couple of recipes and you know some other stuff in the car, but I ain't got nothing else for him, shout out. Yeah, you know, <laughs> ain't nothing else in here. But it was like you pick these BS reasons to stop people, and it's like you just you want you want a confrontation. You're bored. You want something. Up oh, one of the lights over your tag. Not a headlight. Not a tail light. Not a brake light. I mean, there. What if there's boredom? What other things could they do? Read the Constitution, um, play a board game. That's probably not okay. I mean, on duty. I, I don't know. Like what other in there? I mean, you could play Word Blitz. I like Word Blitz. It's a nice game on my phone. Um, you can play the uh, Jeweled. Um, can't get the people still play. Was it Candy Crush? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you could do when you're bored, except for pull strange cars that you don't know, like you know every car on the highway. And, um, you know, when he came up to the window, he was like, you're a long way from home. Because, you know, I live in Cobb County, and I was way out in um, Rex, which is outside. Why is that his business or her business? Right. Why is that their business? I could have had a California tag on my car. I, you know, it don't matter. He just wanted reason. You know, you're not from over here, and you're over here, and it's at night. Ooh. Is this a sundown town? I mean, come on. It probably is. It probably used to be. <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay. It's a very real possibility. So with all of this going on with the health pandemic, racism, um, I don't even want to get into this election right now because, oh because, because of my day job, I cannot, you know, talk politically or whatever. You can, but I can't. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I told people I don't have a president. I'm on vacation. 
I call y'all when I get one. And they were like, well, how do you feel about the current political thing? Do you agree with? I said, you know what? I'm not even bothering with the, the whole Democratic National Convention and all this other stuff. If Yosemite Sam was running against the incumbent, if Foghorn Leghorn was running against the incumbent, if Mickey and Minnie Mouse, Goofy, uh, Mario, and Luigi, um, Sonic the Hedgehog, you know. It, what about Kanye West? He'd be a non factor. But Mickey, Minnie, any of them, the whole Disney franchise, pick somebody. Django, um, pick somebody. I would be right there. Say goodbye to Miss Laura. Bye, Miss Laura. (laughs) Django, I would. (laughs) So, with all of this, this is just like a whole lot going on at one time. How do you cope? mentally because when this pandemic first started first of all you already know me i'm an introvert so the introvert became more introverted (laughs) so i went from being like this to being like (laughs) like oh i'm just gonna retreat into myself even more (laughs) you know how do you cope okay so one i it's funny i most people do not see me as an introvert um because i am I am very much, um, I, I tell people I'm an, um, an extroverted invert mm-hmm. because I have to be on stage. And I always tell people my favorite quote from a song is uh, Timbaland and um, Gnarls Barkley, um, also known as CeeLo, CeeLo Goody. Um, they have a song called I'll Be Around. And Timberland, when he jumps into his verse, he says, here comes Timberland. I'm also from the South. Well, some of the most beautiful things come out my mouth. And I'm on stage just as soon as I come out the house. So I might as well give him something to talk about. And that's me. When I leave my door, I am on stage. I walk out the door. I'm on stage. I act my way through work. I act my way through everything else. I do my shows and, you know, I'm extroverted on stage and everything is everything. And then I walk back through my door. I can count the number of people who have been in my apartment, including you, your sister, and the Pombe. I can count y'all on two hands with fingers left over. This is my sanctuary. And I spend most of my time in my sanctuary. I go on stage and then I'm going to come back here. And this is where I would. If it were not for Jamie, I would probably never, ever leave the house outside of that. We have to go out for food, but that's about it. Um, and then they got grocery delivery. Oh, Amen. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm one of those weird people. I love to grocery shop. Like, I ain't going nowhere else to shop. Like, no mall. No, I'm not doing none of that. I hate the mall with all my heart. I hate clothes shopping. I hate all of that thing. All of that above. But grocery shopping? I love, give me a farmer's market. I'm in my happy place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a lot of me and Jamie, Jamie and me. I've heard more dubstep and rhythm than I could ever try. Um, it's um, a lot of creative ideas for cooking. It's a lot. I figure out things to do. Um, I'm That's take- part of your mental coping strategy? Yeah, I, I find like stuff online is, is the most interesting thing ever in the world. I do a lot of research. Um, I research things, silly things to other people or things that I never would have thought about is because I'm interested in music. I love music, but sometimes I want to know the, the origin of music. Um, I listen to a lot of old stuff. And so I'm like, something about this song does not sound like these people would have written this song. So like um, Jamie plays a game called Far Cry. And in Far Cry, because it's set in like the zombie apocalypse kind of thing, but it's still very frontierish because they're kind of having to survive. It's a survivalist thing. And the radio stations fluctuate. And so a lot of times they'll play like a lot of old music from like the 50s, 60s, you know, kind of thing. And um, the song Louie Louie came on, which I've always loved. So we run around the house screaming, Louie Louie. 
me gotta go and then jamie jumps out yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like looking at like the kingsman sang this song but there's something about the kingsman that does not strike me as one of them writing this song mm-hmm. so i looked up the origin of it and i was like okay so the song was written by i think his name was richard berry and then i was like okay richard berry and then i did some research on richard berry and realized okay he was a singer with another group Uh, with a couple of groups that never really made it, made it. He wrote this song and recorded the song. Song was like, eh, regional, whatever. But the the, the people for the Kingsman decided, hey, we want to, you know, get this song and do this song. Became a monster of a hit. Monster hit for the Kingsman. And he was getting married at the time that he sold the song. And so he sold the song and the rights to the song for $750. And that $750, you know, bought them the song, but he had no residuals, no rights, no nothing. So he got nothing from this record. Um, And it wasn't until about 1993, but there was a stipulation in the contract for being able to use the song that required the signature of Richard Berry. So they had to find an attorney to go find him Mm -hmm. living on welfare in his mother's house in California. The attorney said, Hey, they need to sign for the, you know, rights to use the song. And he said, okay, cool. And he, you know, he was going to sign the paper and the attorney said, you know, there may be a way for you to retain the rights to your song the record company settled with him that year and made this man a millionaire. Deserved. He ended up, he died 10 years later. Like, so he had 10 years of his little millionaire status, but he had never been mad or angry with the music company. He said, because during that time, that's what we did. There was no, you know, like, oh, I'll sell you the rights to record the song. I'll retain the rights of ownership to the song and I'll get my residuals and my points on the album. None of that existed. Mm-hmm for musicians of color at that time so you know taking 10 years I, like, like I learned stuff during the pandemic mm-hmm. I figured out how to make certain dishes I, mm-hmm. I make this let me find out how to do this so it's kind of keeping my mind and my hands busy during the pandemic so it hasn't been this kind of drudgery of I wake up and I lose what day it is no because I still work so I have to be on the clock at, you know, I got to get up at seven in the morning to get breakfast cooked. And then I got to get online and I got to work and I got meetings all day and everything else. So nothing as far as work has changed for me. And that's a blessing because a lot of people who don't, you know, have not been working, have not had the opportunity to work. Now I did for a short amount of time, we had to take uh, mandatory pay cuts um, to work from home and do what we needed to do just in order to save the company some stuff, you know, to be able to people in jobs. Um, so we took a paper cut and then they, you know, did pay restoration um, just a few weeks ago. But it's just been, it's been the same, same kind of working and keeping myself busy. I think if I wasn't working, um, things would be different. We go out on the weekend um, and go walking or go look at waterfalls or go look at um, expensive houses that, you know, we can't afford right now. Right there. I was about to say right now. <laughs> Right now. I mean, like literally, um, I have a group of friends who we're interested in purchasing um, like wedding venues. And so we've gone around Georgia and looked at some huge estates, wedding estates, where they do the wedding and receptions and bed and breakfast and all that kind of stuff. Um, And there's some amazing properties out there for stuff, but a lot of them are going under because of the cancellation of so many weddings. Mm Mm-hmm different things so a lot of them are a lot of them are on the market um and some of them are turnkey some of them need some work kind of thing but just looking into them and you know uh looking at that investment and i'm going in as the um the caterer and the chef the weddings kind of thing but it's so it's, it's been a lot of fun to look at these houses look how the other half leaves to be like one day I'm going to live there, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One day, I'm going to do this. We do it. Um, it's our ritual every Saturday night. Um, it's me and 
four of my friends, we hop in the car and we drive through what's called the Diamond Triangle of Atlanta. And the Diamond Triangle is this area where money is just not an eye. It's, it's just not an anything that anybody thinks about because it's just they got more money than most people but driving through and looking at the properties and looking at the houses um and watching you know like okay i see what this is you know if they had gas lanterns this would be awesome kind of thing just going through and looking at the houses and then and seeing the people who own these houses and one of the unique things about atlanta um is seeing how many of us live in these neighborhoods, you know, it, it's good to see us, you know, and in general people of color, you know, mm-hmm. went through a neighborhood and seeing more black people, more um, Native Americans, more East Indian people, more, you know, more Hispanic people, but seeing that, you know, this, this slow, almost autumn-like coloring of <laughs> the wealth wheel, Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Georgia, um, and remembering that Georgia is Georgia and Atlanta is Atlanta. Aha! Um, uh-huh. Explain yeah, for for those who might not understand. I think people get what you what might get what you're talking about, but for those who don't, explain. For w- those who don't, um, Atlanta is the epitome of Black Mecca. It is Black excellence. It is Black wealth. Um, it is Black political power. You know, it is black mayors from as far back as I can remember. You know, it's um, it is a place where I can walk around and I see more people who look like me, even with the creeping of gentrification. Um, there is more opportunity, more wealth, um, more equity um, in places like Atlanta. Um, but Atlanta is smack dab in the middle of Georgia, which is an avidly red state. It is the south in all that you would ever imagine the old South to be. It is Confederate flags and Klansmen. It is, you know, uh, all sorts of, of inequity and um, sundown towns and uh, racial inequality and hatred. It is the Ahmad Aubrey can't jog through a white neighborhood. It is the Klan meeting on the top of Stone Mountain. It is all of that, but in the middle of it, is black Mecca kind of thing. And um, a lot of the ideas and a lot of the things that people, especially in the city, um, have, and a lot of the way that they feel when they move from outside of here to here, and then they drive just outside the perimeter. Mm-hmm. And they realize that while Atlanta is the bright blue, democratic, liberal, safe space for black Hispanic, you know, African, Jamaican, Indian, pick something. It is the, it is the safe space for all that, the safe space for all LGBTQ. It is, it is the, 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 the wonderful space that it is. It is smack dab in the middle of a whole state of intolerance. Um, so, you know, you might be happy in, in here, but don't move, you know, about 30 miles to the east or 30 miles to the west, or 30 miles to the south or north. If the devil went down to Georgia, and looks like the devil stayed. He stayed. He stayed <laughs> here for real, for real. Um, it is, it's an amazing thing to drive and see the difference um, to when you're traveling, you know, making sure that I know where I shall and shall not stop when I, when I travel outside of here. If I'm going home to North Carolina, I know where I will and will not get gas. I know what exits to get off of. I know which ones I'm not getting off of. In 2020. In 2020. Um, especially if I'm driving at night. If I'm, I usually try to drive during the daytime. But if I'm driving at night, I know where I, I, it's safe for me to go. Especially with this big old black boy with me. I want to just say one more time. In, in 2020. 20 had a similar experience with um with some cousins and an aunt we were all we had all converged in louisiana for a couple of funerals because it was uh, the year we had two family members die on the same day and so the funerals mm-hmm. were like a day apart and so um one cousin well uh linda you met you met linda mm-hmm. and so um we were on our way to her services in gina and i think we wanted to make a stop somewhere and um 
I think I can't I think we were on the phone and my sister and my dad were in the car and I was in the in the same car. He wanted to make a stop somewhere. And I think either my aunt or my cousin or both of them were saying, uh, no, you don't need to stop there. Here's where you need to stop. This was right. in 2016. Mm-hmm. And we're in 2020 and ain't nothing changed. And nothing. in 1963, it was the same. Mm-hmm. It was the same. And and that's one of the things you learn quickly about the South. Um, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and North Carolina is is this weird mix of stuff because it's North, but it's South. You know, it's, 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 it's North Carolina. And so all of our musical influence and everything else comes from up top. We are all New York, all go-go and everything else up top. But then it's like, cause I, I had never heard a lot of the music uh, that was Southern Florida, that was, you know, Booty Shake and, all, you know, all the stuff that was Miami. That was never where our influences came from, but it is still the South um, in all of its Southernness. And um, it's driving from North Carolina to Huntsville, Alabama, was always an adventure because there's certain places, you know, when you're going through Anniston and Gadsden and um, all these little places there are pockets of places in Alabama you know when we were in school when we would uh when we were in at Oakwood we would be traveling to certain places especially if the choir had to sing somewhere certain things but they were towns that we were told never to stop in because they were sundown towns and they really were sundown towns in the 90s they were sundown towns from the 60s they're sundown towns right now um where you are just not welcomed you're not comfortable there because they don't want you to be comfortable there. Um, it is, I just want to stop and get gas. You know, that's all I want to do. Um, or stop and grab something to eat. And you can tell immediately when you walk into the place, whether it's a Waffle House or whether whatever, um, from, from North Carolina to Florida to Alabama to Tennessee to um, Louisiana, Mississippi, it is still the South in 2020 there are still spaces that are just not tolerant of anything that is not white, that is not straight, um, that is not male kind of thing. And you know, it's, it's, it's still as dangerous now as it was in 1963. Wow. Wow. They might not have the signs that say right. N word, don't let the sun set on you here, but right. it's still the same I Think it's you're saying it's still the same feeling. It's still the same, same sentiment. Um, same sentiment. Um, there are still, you know, there are understood whites only spaces. Um, you know, when you walk in and people are looking at like, you know, for me, I walk in and all of my six foot locks, dark skin glory. Uh, and it's kind of like, you know, like your kind ain't from here. You ain't from around here. If you were from around here, you would know better kind of thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware I'm too crazy to be scared. Um, but I'm aware of where I am. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm aware that, you know, I, when I walk into a space, I usually do not walk into spaces unarmed. Um, and that's just because I travel and when I travel it, I, I am usually armed. Um, because I want to be able to defend myself, even from the people who are supposed to be defending me. 2A. Mm-hmm. So it's... 2A applies to everyone. Everybody. Everybody. I was just talking to my roommate about, about buying some new hardware. Um, so I always speak of the, in that term when my son is there. My son wants to go to the range, and I'm like... Bro, I don't know if I trust you. <laughs> like, mom, I would never shoot you. I don't know about all that. Now, you might get mad. And like, I said I want to go to bed at two, you know. But, um, you know, I'm thinking about taking him eventually. But, um, you know, it's one of the things that growing up shooting guns in the South kind of thing is that the last thing you ever want to do for someone who is really, you know, about gun safety, the last thing you want to do is to hurt anybody. Like, I would never want to discharge a weapon and take someone's life. That's not, I don't ever want 
to do that ever. However, I don't want to be in a position where someone takes my or my son's life and had I been armed, I would have been able to prevent it. Um, I'm all about smart gun safety. You know, I don't understand people who are like, well, I want to be able to buy a gun at will and you don't want somebody to have to get a license or take a test or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Some people don't need guns. And, you know, when I was having some more, you know, some personal issues uh, with depression and anxiety, I got rid of my weapons because I did not feel safe with myself with them. You know, so I made sure they're gone, they're out, I'm good kind of thing. And, but I'm smart enough to understand that weapons in the hands of the wrong people, you know, are not items of defense. They are not, I, I don't know a reason in the world from coming from a hunting background that I would need an AR-15. I don't know a reason in the world that if I'm not in active combat that I need an AR-15. There are certain weapons that I'm like, I, I don't even know why they're available to the public. Like, why, why would you need it? What do you need it for? Unless you're trying to arm a militia. I, I don't know what you would need it for. Um, but as weapons of defense, I mean, take all the precautions, get the licensing, get the training, do all this stuff the same way you wouldn't let somebody get behind the wheel of a car. I was just thinking the same thing. Everyone doesn't license. have to, doesn't need a license. Everyone right. does not and you need the qualifications get a special to have license. a license. Yeah, you got to get a special license to get your CDL to drive a truck. Everybody who drives a car can get an uh, 18-wheeler and drive and maneuver that thing in traffic because it's dangerous to the other people around you. You know, it's dangerous to you kind of thing. So I'm like, I don't understand the problem with training and a license. You know, there are people where they're like, you know, we wanted to make sure that everybody has a right to, to have their weapons. Yes. But there are people who are sick, who do not need access to weapons. You don't make, certain drugs accessible to everybody mm, you have schedules <laughs> right you, you, you're like oh everybody should have access to this great painkiller yes they should if they need it and if they don't they shouldn't have access to it because it's dangerous to them mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. To everything else <laughs> you don't want to apply it to guns yeah yeah that makes that makes total sense i think what was it one time i had a surgery and I had to go to the pharmacy. I was groggy. One of my friends picked me up from the hospital. So groggy. I just handed her the the pharmacy slip from the doctor. And I can't remember. I didn't have the right. I don't know if it was a signature. It basically was something I needed. I think it was the doctor's, a special number from the doctor that basically said, this person is authorized to dispense this potent painkiller, this narcotic. And I don't care. It doesn't matter how much pain I was in. They were like, if you don't have this number, you ain't getting this particular painkiller. Exactly. It should be something equivalent for, which is exactly. what you were saying. You should, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with having schedules for medicine, you know, different classes of medicine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with having licensure for, for guns. No one is saying take the guns. No, right. I, I've take never heard guns. that. Take all the guns away. I've never Ever. heard that. Never heard it. My mother has an arsenal, mm-hmm. you know, and half of the guns my mother has are illegal now, but because she had them before a specific date, before licenses were, was required for specific weapons, she's fine. She's exempt from that. And my mother has probably had to pull her weapons twice, but my mother lives alone. She's been alone since my father died in 1998. And, you know, um, I'm, you know, fortunate that my mother is doing well. But if you roll up on my mama, she going to put hot lead in you. And that's just how it's going to work. And she, she doesn't want, but my thing is, is that she has to be in a position to protect herself. And so she does. So she ain't running around gun wielding crazy lady, everybody that got a dog in their yard. (laughs) You know, she's not the person that reaches for, I'm going to reach for the gun when I want to stop the fight, you know, kind of thing. Or I want to start the fight because I got a gun to end the fight kind of thing. And we run into that a lot where it's a lot of people who pull weapons when a weapon is not needed. You know, when, when we disagree, we can disagree. If I don't like what you said, I know how to get up and walk away kind of thing. A lot of it is the same as alcohol. You know how alcohol is called liquid courage. A lot of time we have steel courage. Mm, mm-hmm. normally walked away from that didn't have to become a confrontation become something worse because we're armed 
and we feel like I can get away with it because I got a gun. I ain't got to back down from you because I got a gun. And it's like, sometimes you just need to back down because the argument ain't worth it. But you can't screen for stuff like that, though. You can't you screen, can't screen you can't for mental health somebody. issues like that because people right. can hide certain things. Um, you can't screen for that. But I think people need to change the way that they look at their weapons and the way that they look at guns because it's, it's, it's insane. Like, everything does not become a killing offense. You looked at my girl. You looked at my boyfriend. So now you want to put a gun to somebody's head and kill them. Um, you're walking through a neighborhood at night with your hoodie on and I don't know you with Skittles and a sweet tea. So I want to follow you even when the police tell me not to follow you. I'm going to just follow you because I can. And because I, I, I'm the patrol, I'm Robin Hood of this neighborhood. I can do this kind of thing. And, and then you jump out of the car and you decide that you want to initiate something with a child who is afraid at night, who has youth on his side and adrenaline. So he starts whooping your behind. I can't decide in the middle of a fight that I'm losing that now I get to shoot and kill you. A fight that stayed you initiated. in the car. I initiated it. A situation that you created. Right. A situation and, and that, that is not one of the be. things that I've always hated about the stay your ground law is that the stay your ground law kind of gives you a caveat that I can start something, but the minute that the tide turns against me, then I'm allowed to use lethal force. And that's stupid to me. Like, you should have stayed your butt in the car like you said. Why'd you start? At worst, had you just left that gun, or had you not confronted this boy, this wouldn't have happened. But even if y'all had been in a fist fight, um, he would have got, okay, after he sufficiently handed you your butt, he'd have ran all the way home. And then he'd be alive and you'd be alive, and y'all would have this discussion at a police station the next day. That's another thing. It's it's okay. It's okay to walk away. People it's okay to cuss that. somebody out from here to heaven. Cuss, cuss that much if you want, <laughs> but walk away. <laughs> Nobody wants to walk away because we've made it look like it's weak. Like to walk away is to lose something. And it's like, you didn't lose anything. Like if I don't like you, what do I care that you said something about me? Right. Like, like if I don't like you and you're not important or vital to my life, then why do I care what your opinion of me uh, is? You know, it, it ain't what somebody calls you, it's what you answer to. Mm -hmm. so if I'm walking away and you call me out my name, then I don't answer to that name. I don't respond to that name. And why do I give you the power over my emotions to drive mm -hmm. to a point where I feel like you got to agree with me or you got to take it back or I'm a bit your behind because of that. Now, granted, I, I am half hands will travel. I, you know, I, I am quick, you know, kind of thing. I am not, I am not anti-fight and anti-violence. Anybody who knows me know I'm not even going to deny that point. Um, but the thing is, is that in order for me to fight you, you really got to do, you got to touch, hurt my son. You got to, you got to literally touch me or somebody I love for me to want to, to just fight you kind of thing like so i'm hearing you say they the have words to, can do it to me. they have to commit some form of assault whether it's a low-grade assault right. like a push or a higher grade assault so essentially um, a person yeah. has to commit a crime in order right. for you i'm all to lay about hands. defense i'm all about defending myself i'd be like okay don't come unless i send for you but if you come over here i'm gonna send you back to where you came from um but it, it really is i'm i'm not i'm not i'm not an aggressor Meaning I'm not the person that's going to jump in your face and be wanting to, you know, jump on somebody and hit somebody and slap somebody and spit on somebody and do all this other stuff because there's no point in it. There is no, what, what prize do I get at the end of this kind of thing? Um, bragging rights, um, pride. You can feel prideful for whatever reason. You can feel better about yourself if that's what, if that's what I'm gonna need you to win a baking contest or something. Get your pride <laughs> from something else. You know, I, I I need you to do something that that in the end is worthwhile. Like I 
I don't, maybe you get off on that. Cause there are people like, you know, I, I hate bullies um, who just feel like the only way that I can come out on top is I got to put somebody on the bottom. Um, and so that is one of the things I really don't understand about how this whole thing is supposed to fix itself. We've got so many people who find joy in the pain of others. Um, and, and I'm not one of those people. I, I, you know, I feel like I don't, you create your own happy, you know, and I'm not dependent upon shoving someone else down. Like your star shining doesn't make my star dim. I don't have to deplete your shine to increase mine. Like the source of, of our power, the source of our shine is never ending. It is eternal. It is omnipresent. It is omniscient. It is infinite. Infinity. It's not pie. Yeah, right. It, it's infinite. Like, so the source is infinite. So whatever's powering your shine powers my shine, powers everybody's shine. Everybody can shine. I don't have to deplete yours. I don't have to snuff out your light so that my light shines. I don't think people get that idea. They feel like somebody's got to be on top. Like we're playing king of the hill and I got to knock you off the hill to be king of the hill. But one of the things that we have to realize that if we treat life like it's king of the hill, and I got to knock you off to get there. Then there's somebody, a bunch of somebodies, always working to knock you off mm-hmm. top of this hill. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think it's, it's a hill. I think more of life is planes. It's levels. And this level has plenty of room for everybody. And then you go to the next level because there is no top. There's no top of the hill. You have to keep working. You can get here and plateau and be like, this is nice. This is really nice because I got a great view. Look at this vista right here. Okay, so now I got to climb up. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with finding contentment. Right. I like this hill. You know what? I'm going to camp out here. It's like saying that the north is the top of the map. And everybody should be aiming for the north. Well, some people kind of like the Midwest. I like it here. You know, look at it. There's a buffalo right there. I've never seen <laughs> a buffalo before. It's great. You know, I really like it over here. Oh, corn. I like corn. You like corn? I think we should grow some corn. And we're going to stay here and we're going to grow some corn. And we're here in the Midwest and we're happy. And we don't lose anything. And we're no lesser because we didn't decide that we wanted to go to Massachusetts. We didn't decide we wanted to be in New Hampshire or Vermont. We, we just didn't decide that, you know, this is where we wanted to be. We're happy here. And everybody's happy is something different. But we want a reason to believe I'm at the North. And because I'm at the North, I am greater than you peons upon the Midwest and you Southerners that stayed at the bottom, you know, kind of thing. It's the same way we look at everything. Jobs, you know, know, I'm better than the garbage man. No, because- No, you're not. Garbage man, you'd have all this stuff piled up at your house and, you know- In this pandemic. Somebody has to be the garbage man. Somebody has to be the orderly. Somebody has to be the phlebotomist. Somebody's got to be the nail tech. Somebody's got to be the, I want to be an obstetrician or chiropractor. I don't want to be a brain surgeon. Uh, You know, somebody has to be this because what you need and where you are at every level is needed. It's just needed. I think that's one one of the good things that... uh that came out or that to me, it seemed people realize more of is that the people that we didn't think were essential, honey, they are essential. Your grocery person, that person is essential. Thank you for your service. The gas station, all that stuff. Thank you for your service too. (laughs) Right. I was like, look, y'all are essential. I need, I need all y'all. I need the little, the little, the little Uber East people. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, ooh, Uber Eats, yes. you know, the DoorDash people, um, you know, the little pizza delivery guy that do the, the contactless delivery. Mm-hmm. Knock on my door and leave it at the door. Thank you. Appreciate you. <laughs> uh, 
Grocery delivery, Instacart, uh, <laughs> Amazon. Thank all of you. <laughs> I appreciate all of y'all because I have all online stuff. <laughs> I'm knocking on my door with a package. I when did I order this? I didn't remember ordering. This. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Planet Noun, where it's all about the people, places, things, and ideas that teach us, prompt us to make a difference, and do more with what life presents. You've been listening to my friend Pamela Rare Epiphany Best. We Zoomed for about three hours this day. So more of our conversation could show up in later episodes. But you can get all of her social media handles and links to her book projects at planetnoun.com. I'm Liz Anderson, host of the Planet Noun podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're also on SoundCloud. And please stop by Apple Podcast and any platform that we're on and rate the show. Thanks again for stopping by. Until next time, take care and stay safe.